2: It's
0: the Wednesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Good afternoon. I'm Jim Gooden. The Biden administration is calling on overseas oil companies to ramp up production, and we'll find out why in our next segment. Right now, the bipartisan infrastructure bill has passed the Senate and is now in the hands of the House. Plus, the latest report on consumer prices out today. And to talk about all of that, we're joined by Gus Fauché, the chief economist at PNC Financial Services in Pittsburgh. So, Gus, first, your thoughts on the consumer price numbers today.
3: Um, yeah. So we had a little bit slower inflation in July than what we've seen for the preceding few months. So a lot of those big price increases for things like news, new cars, used cars, rental cars, airfares, and so forth, they're slowing. And, and that indicates that a lot of the inflation pressures that we experienced in mid-2021 are easing, and we should see a, a somewhat lower inflation going forward from this point.
0: And what does that mean for the economy in general and for investors particularly?
3: Well, what it means is is that the Fed is going to keep interest rates low for an extended period of time. Uh, There was some concern that higher inflation could lead the Fed to raise interest rates, but the Fed said these inflation pressures are temporary. It looks like that's that's how it's going to turn out. And so this gives the Fed the leeway to keep interest rates low until the job market is is very strong and and back
0: to where it was before the pandemic. Gus, what thoughts do you have on the infrastructure bill that passed out of the Senate?
3: Um, Certainly, uh, investment in infrastructure is important for the United States' long-run economic growth. Uh, If we have better ports, if we have better highways, better mass transit, all of that, uh, then that benefits us all over the longer run and allows the economy to grow faster. And then in the short run, the spending is likely to boost near-term growth as as, uh, firms hire workers to do these construction projects and so forth. So I think this is a big win for the U.S. economy, both in the
0: short-term and the long-term. Gus, what else interests you these days in terms of the markets or the economy, or what should we be looking at?
3: Well, I I think the key thing is what happens with the job market. We had a very strong jobs report for July. Uh, We saw the unemployment rate fall. We saw more than 900,000 jobs added over the month. We saw very strong wage growth. Um, We're not going to continue at that pace, but we're still down by about 6 million jobs from where we were before the pandemic. Um, So we need to see continued strong job growth if things are going to get back to normal. And then we need more people coming into the labor force. So we need people who are concerned about, the coronavirus, feeling more comfortable about coming back to work. We need to see schools reopening so we see parents of young children coming back to work, and hopefully that will allow for strong economic growth over the next few
0: years. Yes, we're going to be talking about oil in our next segment. Any concern that we now are saying, hey, we need more oil imports? Um, Certainly, you know, we have seen a big
3: increase in in oil prices recently. Uh, Certainly gasoline prices are way up. Um, I think that the market is sending the correct signal that higher prices will lead to stronger production, uh, and that will help bring down uh, energy prices later this year and then in 2022. I think we're seeing some temporary dislocations from the big, faster-than-expected rebound in the economy, Uh, but I think the market will
0: adjust, and I think that energy prices are likely to fall and that will help cool inflation as well. Gus Fauché, the chief economist at PNC Financial Services in Pittsburgh. Thanks, as always, as we mentioned coming up. American oil production is down so we're now looking overseas for help. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM noon business hour continues. The White House is calling on OPEC and its allies to increase oil production and here to talk about why is Phil Flynn, the senior market analyst at Price Group here in Chicago. So Phil, why is that?
4: Because of bad energy policy by the Biden administration. Um, You know, they're in their rush to get off fossil fuels. They put a lot of restrictions on U.S. producers, leaving U.S. consumers more vulnerable to price spikes, uh, especially if they're engineered by OPEC and their favorite co-conspirator, Russia. So right now we have a global economy where demand is going up. Supplies are not rising fast enough, and the U.S. energy producer has been hamstrung by the administration. They're not responding, so we're begging OPEC for more oil while our producers are producing less.
0: So it doesn't sound like, from what you're saying, that we're going to see any relief on the domestic production front anytime soon.
4: We're really not. In fact, the Energy Information Administration just est- yesterday uh, lowered their estimate for U.S. oil production growth uh, for this year. So we're already seeing U.S. producers not responding like they have in the past to cool off energy prices. And at the same time, OPEC in Russia has a stranglehold on global energy prices. And the Biden administration is saying, hey, guys, um, you know, we're worried about these high gasoline prices hurting the economy, so help us out here, raise production. But at the same time, they refused to ask uh, the U.S. producers to raise production. The Biden administration was asked that directly, and they said, no, we have not asked U.S. producers to raise production. So you're getting really mixed signals out of this White House, and it's caused a lot of volatility. Um, On the news that uh, they asked OPEC to raise production, oil prices went down When the White House just came out a few minutes ago and said we haven't asked U.S. producers to increase production, prices came back up. Um, And basically, we're showing how OPEC really has control over the U.S. consumer and the U.S. uh, oil market right now.
0: Well, let's talk about that. How likely is it that OPEC is going to increase supplies to the point where it helps us out? Or how likely is it that uh, we could end up paying much more for our energy as OPEC says, hey, we can take advantage of the situation?
4: I think OPEC's going to try to take advantage of the situation. In fact, I think they already have. But I'm not uh, – I understand the power of the White House. When they get on OPEC's back, they're probably going to raise production. But they're going to do it only in a small amount uh, That's in that's still in their best interest. So I don't believe that OPEC is going to raise production enough. Now, they may throw a few more barrels on the market just, you know, to – Uh, cool the political pressure a bit. But at the end of the day, it's not in their best interest uh, to help out our economy. It's in their best interest to help out their own.
0: So what are we looking at? What are we expecting? Or is it too soon to say what we're looking at in terms of energy prices in the near and long-term future here, especially as the economy starts to recover and we're starting to see more and more economic activity?
4: I think in the short term, just just pull up to the gas pump, because that's what you're seeing. You're already seeing the impact of these energy policies. That's why prices are as high as they are right now. You know, in past years, prices would have never got this high because U.S. energy producers would have increased production. If the Biden administration continues along their path of discouraging U.S. energy production, canceling all fossil fuel um, Entitlements from the government, you know, restricting drilling and pipeline production. We're facing a new era of higher oil and gas prices, and it's not going to go away. Um, The pace that we're on right now suggests that we could see gasoline prices, you know, get up to four or five dollars a gallon. And, you know, so that is in our future unless the policies change at the White House. And right now, you know, one day they're saying, we don't want to see any more fossil fuel production because the world's on fire because of global warming. You know, and just a day later, we're begging OPEC to produce more. So it's really kind of a, a hypocritical approach, I think, to energy policy.
0: That's Phil Flynn, the senior market analyst at Price Group in Chicago. Thanks, Phil, as always, for your perspective. Up next, hackers make a big score in cryptocurrency. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Cyber thieves have stolen $600 million in cryptocurrency from the finance platform Poly Network. And joining us on the McGrath Lexus business line is Adam Levin, the co-host of the podcast What the Hack with Adam Levin, and author of the book Swiped Out of New York. So, Adam, what in the world happened here?
1: Hey, Jim. Well, somebody stole about $611 million of uh, cryptocurrency from... The poly platform, and they they then took it and dispersed it through three uh, other uh, sites uh, platforms, and then they ran into the problem that uh, it came out very quickly, and the poly network uh, basically indicated uh, how much was stolen and where it went, and asked for help from other exchanges and law enforcement in terms of seeing if these coins appeared anywhere, basically, that someone was going to try to fence them. And uh, everybody was on the lookout for it. And in the process of all of this, a cyber firm actually followed digital footprints, and the hackers made a mistake and managed to more or less identify themselves. So as a result, uh, recently, like very recently, almost 300 million has already been returned.
0: Wow, about half of it. And is that an upside to cyber currency? And does this also perhaps show a downside to it? I imagine it's kind of a mixed tale here, right?
1: No, it's a mixed tale. First of all, it, it you know the bad news is that some of these uh, big networks can be hacked and extraordinarily large amounts of money can be stolen. Like, for instance, there was a $530 million heist uh, in 2018 of a Tokyo-based exchange called Coincheck. Then there was the Mt. Gox exchange based in Tokyo, collapsed in 2014 after they lost a half a billion dollars. Now, the interesting thing about blockchain and cryptocurrency is you may not necessarily know who did it, but you can, because it's a public ledger, trace the movement of the currency. So what some of these thieves are actually counting on is the fact that they can move it to certain places, sit back for a while and then move it to other places that may be more difficult for either law enforcement or exchanges to get their hands on. Like if this goes to Russia or into North Korea, uh, you could have you'll never see it again. So these are some of the issues that, that, that have been faced by
0: this. The fascinating world of cyber currency, even when it's stolen. That's Adam Levin, co-host of the podcast What the Hack with Adam Levin and the author of the book Swiped Out of New York. Adam, always great to talk to you. Still ahead on Personal Finance Wednesday, keeping your 401k intact when you change jobs.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
0: This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues, and it's presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Good afternoon, I'm Jim Goodis. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Branches and limbs, and in some cases, entire trees are down due to severe weather. That's also knocked out power across the area. Government doctors revisit vaccine guidelines for pregnant women. On Personal Finance Wednesday, making sure your 401K is in order as you move to a new job. And Samsung is looking to the foldable smartphone as the device of the future. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 208 points, the S&P 500 ahead by 8, but the NASDAQ is down 35 points. AccuWeather says we're going to have a warm afternoon again. In fact, hot is the word. A high of 92, and with the humidity, it'll feel like it's well over 100. And we could have a return of storms tonight. Right now under cloudy skies, it's 75 at O'Hare at 1231. The heavy storms hitting today are just adding to the mess in hard-hit communities, including some in the near north suburbs. If someone was in there, they would not have survived in the front seat.
4: That's Jill Topolsky of Skokie. She was visiting friends on Sherman Avenue in Evanston last night when storms uprooted a large American elm tree, crushing her car. Thank God no one was injured. In my car or anywhere else on the street.
2: Right, and you're insured and you, and you can replace it. A car can be replaced. Yeah. A hassle, but a car can be replaced. Evanston resident Sandy Swanson was among the curious who stopped by to see what had happened.
5: This is crazy. I, Like I said, the power of nature, There's the sidewalk is on top of the tree roots. It's, 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 in, it's impressive and I'm just thankful that is not my car.
4: <laughs> Other tree damage in the area
2: involved mostly snapped tree limbs. In Evanston, Bernie Tafoya, News Radio, 105.9 FM.
0: Current numbers from ComEd show around 116,000 homes and businesses still without power. The Centers for Disease Control has updated COVID vaccination recommendations for pregnant women.
6: The CDC says if you're pregnant, get the shot. New evidence shows getting the COVID vaccine early in pregnancy did not increase the risk for miscarriage. Additionally, they found no safety concerns for women getting the vaccine later in their pregnancy or for their babies. The revised CDC guidance now says that all people 12 years and older, including people who are pregnant, breastfeeding, or trying to get pregnant now or in the future, get vaccinated. Stacey Lynn, CBS News.
0: You can take WBBM anywhere you go by using the Odyssey app, which now also has hundreds of new exclusive music stations for music fans by music fans. Only on the Odyssey app. It's 1233. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Markets are mixed, and we're joined by Matt Shapiro, the president of MWS Capital here in Chicago. And, Matt, before we talk about how things are going on Wall Street today, interesting news out of the Dallas Fed where President Robert Kaplan said that he's thinking it's time to taper monthly purchases of treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities in October. Your thought about that?
7: Well, Jim, I think that is one of the, the, the key factors in the market right now is Fed tapering. Will we have a Fed taper tantrum? And ironically, when you hear news about this, actually fixed income bonds actually rallied. Interest rates came down a little bit on that news because people think, again, the Fed has so much credibility that instead of – economic, uh, they're going to actually tamp down economic growth because that will remove some stimulus from the marketplace by reducing asset purchases. Gold also up one and a quarter percent. So, uh, you know, a lot of this Fed speak is already built in. We had the big jobs report on Friday that showed a very strong economy. Uh, Almost 1 million new jobs. So right now, the market's at all-time highs. We had an excellent earnings season. So this Fed speak is, I think, kind of built into the mix so far.
0: And what about the consumer prices numbers out today?
7: Well, up a half a percent, uh, about 5.5% year-over-year, kind of a cool-down uh, from last month where fears of inflation were just so prominent. Uh, a lot of it was, if you read the the news flash uh, this morning, used car prices that have come down a little bit. So we actually finally see the first evidence of what the, many economists are taking a position that much of the inflation is transitory from the reopening from coronavirus. We'll see about that. I do believe that prices have moved to a higher price level. I think everyone sees that in the supermarket. However, um, definitely good news overall that inflation not out of control, at least this past month.
0: Although it sounds like uh, based on what we're hearing from analysts that uh Expect to uh, see energy prices keep going up, especially when you look at the domestic oil policy and the fact that the White House now asking OPEC, can you start increasing exports?
7: Well, I, mean, I think that is going to be a trillion dollar question. Uh, gold price, uh, excuse me, oil price uh, with, the, with OPEC. You know, with all these mandates for electric cars, you wonder where is oil going to fit into the economy. And if anyone saw those, uh, the, the breakdown uh, with, the, with the hack of the East Coast gasoline, there's still going to be a lot of demand for energy and regular old gasoline cars. So for now, gold has, uh, excuse me, oil has come down a little bit. From recent highs. Um, I think uh, going forward over the next uh, rest of the year, I think crude oil could still actually move higher.
0: And what else should we be looking at right now, Matt? Well, there's been a lot of spectacular
7: stories. For instance, BioNTech, one half of the Pfizer uh, and uh, BioNTech vaccine, which everyone is taking, that stock skyrocketed on just massive vaccine sales, went up to 450, down heavy today. Another another stock, Roku, which is sort of the streaming quarterback. Uh, that stock again up to 475. So you have these incredible stock stories, and then back down almost 100 points. So there's lots of places, even though we have a high market, to pick up some of these hot stocks that have come down a little bit on momentum.
0: Matt Shapiro, the president of MWS Capital here in Chicago. Matt, always great to get your perspective. Up next on Personal Finance Wednesday, successfully moving your 401k to a new employer. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, sponsored by Mesero Wealth Management. And record numbers of people are changing jobs, and that has implications for their retirement accounts. And joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line is... Craig Bolanos, the founding partner and chief executive officer of Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. So, Craig, what should people be doing when they switch jobs when it comes to their 401Ks?
5: Well, Jim, I think everybody just needs to pause and be incredibly intentional. Intentional is the word I'm going to use on what to do with that 401K, that 403B when you change jobs. And ultimately, there's really three directions that people can go with it.
2: And
0: what are the three?
5: Well, number one, for a lot of people, sometimes in a job transition, there's a little bit of chaos. You know, People are juggling a lot of balls in the air. And I want to make sure everybody knows that it is an option to leave the money in what's going to be your old employer's plan. And that might be the thing to do if you don't have a clear direction on where it is you're going. The second opportunity when you leave one employer is you can do a direct rollover of your existing 401k into the new employer plan, assuming they have one, or many people might choose to do a direct rollover of that 401k to an IRA that they can control. But most importantly, Jim, we never
0: want to do number three. We never want to cash out. And why is that? Because some people think, well, I'll just cash it out and maybe I'll invest it somewhere or I'll put it into something. Why is that a bad idea?
5: Well, you know what? I mean, we see it time and time again, and we talk about in the noon business hour, taxes are everyone's single greatest expense. And when you choose to cash out that 401k, if it's a traditional 401k, you are going to end up paying federal taxes, in some cases, state taxes, plus a 10% penalty. We could be giving away up to 40% of one's account balance, and that means that's 40% that's not going to be growing with the market. So whatever you do, try not to cash out that 401k plan when you change jobs.
0: All right, cashing out, number one thing to avoid. What's the number two thing to avoid, or what are some of the things, other things that people do? Maybe misconceptions they have or misunderstandings or or mistakes that people make because they really don't understand the best way to approach this.
5: Well, I think something that's incredibly tricky on the back of the pandemic, Jim, is so many people had interruptions in their family's household. Maybe there were two breadwinners and one person got furloughed. So an awful lot of people as a result of the pandemic have these 401k loans. And when they change jobs with a 401k loan, people don't know what the rules are. The old rules said, and notice, Jim, these are old rules that you had to pay that 401k loan back within 60 days of leaving your job or the amount of the loan became taxable to you but under the new rules i want to make sure everybody knows that if you have a 401k loan and you're changing jobs contact what's going to be your former employer determine what their program is that would allow you to repay the loan. But even if you roll the money with a loan into an IRA, you have all the way until tax filing plus extensions to get that loan paid back. So Jim, if I Rolled my 401k this year in 2021 with a loan on it. Technically, I have all the way until October 15th of 2022 to satisfy the loan. That's the biggest misconception we at the Wealth Management Group see in today's marketplace.
0: Is this really something that most people should see a professional on this and get advice? Because it can be, some in some ways, confusing. In some ways, people don't really know what the... New rules are, or which old rules still apply, or what the best approach is.
5: Yeah, you know, there's so many moving parts when it comes to retirement plan, taxes, saving, and investing. And I encourage everybody when we think about that concept of being intentional, education leads to empowerment. And if you yourself find that you're not 100% sure on some of the rules, Jim, just as you mentioned, I encourage people to work with a trusted advisor, a fiduciary advisor their CPA, somebody who knows the ins and outs and can point them in the right direction, because too many of these elections come with a irrevocable price tag on it. And we've got to make sure we're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. So yes, people
0: should be getting help. Greg Bolanos, who is the founding partner and chief executive officer at Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Thanks, Craig. Always great advice. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, Samsung looks to convince customers to go with a foldable phone. Money talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Samsung's putting a focus on foldable smartphones again, and let's discuss the possibilities for success with Ina Fried, the chief technology correspondent for the news site Axios.com out of San Francisco. So, Ina, what's new with this latest Samsung foldable?
6: these phones, there's two of them. There's the Flip 3 and the Fold 3 um, are pretty similar in looks and in design to what they've done in the past, but they're really trying to show that foldables are maturing. They're not these, you know, sort of tests of, yes, we can do it, but they're really not ready for prime time. This year, they're trying to say they're still a niche, but they're, they're more ready for somebody that really wants to buy them and use them as their main smartphone.
0: And who's this for? Who wants to spend a lot more money than you might even for a high-end smartphone on one of these foldables?
6: Yeah, I think it's still an open question, especially the higher-end one, the foldable, that's kind of like a tablet when you open it up, but you're talking like $1,800. I'm still not sure who the market is for that. Uh, The flip is a little bit more reasonable. It's about $1,000, and it folds all small, and, you know, it's kind of cute for, you know, fashion Kind of design type focused people i'm really not sure on the on the fold you know I, I think part of the challenge with technology is it starts out expensive and kind of flimsy, and you know over time it gets cheaper and more durable. I think we're getting there, um, but we're still we're still a few years from where I think the average person is going to consider either of these phones
0: I mean is it going to get to a point where foldable is competitively priced to non foldable or is is that always going to be a bit of a premium and I guess the question is, do we know at this point whether this is a more reliable version of the foldable phone than what we have seen in the past, especially from Samsung?
6: Well, on your second point, I think they really are getting there. There's a couple things that tell us that this is going to be more durable. And one of those is it's got a basic water resistance uh, rating on the on the fold, uh, which, you know, indicates that it can survive a spill. You know, it's supposedly you can take it underwater. But who's going to take an eighteen hundred dollar phone underwater for 30 minutes? Um, but, you know, hopefully that's a sign. And also they're letting it work with their S Pen stylus, um, which says something because with a stylus, you know, you're kind of scratching on the screen. And in the past, they have not recommended doing that. It hasn't supported that. Um, So the fact that it is supporting that, you know, so I think you will see increased reliability. On that first point of, you know, do these get to a point where they cost the same as a regular screen? It's hard to see that. It's hard to see how you get to similar cost. I think you will get to a lower cost premium. Um, But, you know, it's hard to imagine how you put a foldable screen, multiple screens, and, you know, somehow get close in cost to one flat slab of glass.
0: Ina Freed, the chief technology correspondent at the news site Axios.com out of San Francisco. Thanks, Ina. Appreciate the update. If you missed any of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.